0: Welcome to the Perfect First Layer Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast where we answer questions from you, the 3D printing community. My name is Guy Dunlap from Guy's Shop, and with me today are my hosts, JJ and Nathan. Say hello, guys.
1: Hello. Hello.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And we do depend on your questions for this podcast, so if you have one for our panel, please go to perfectfirstlayer.com and go to the submit page to send it. Now, this is our first regular show. So without any further ado, let's get right into it. Are you ready, guys?
2: Ready over here?
0: Yeah, yeah let's All do right. it. Great. Since this podcast is new, we haven't been able to get, to get you know any questions in. So I thought we might answer a few that everybody with this hobby has asked. Does that work for you guys? I'm down. All right. This is a pretty broad subject, and I know we can dig pretty deep into it. So... Let's say I just got a new printer and I purchased it with the full intent to do some mods and customizations. What are the first ones to tackle? What do you think, Nathan?
1: Well, my YouTube channel really got started when I did some Ender 3 mods. So I know people really are interested in seeing Ender 3 modding content and updating parts on their Ender 3s. It's kind of like in the car scene, people add mufflers and stuff to their cars and make their Honda civic do all sorts of weird things. But um, so the ender three is kind of like the Honda civic of the 3d printer community. And people really like to put upgrades onto them. Um,
0: What would you say is a, you know, you get, you get the ender three, you undo it, uh, take it out of the box, put it together. What are like the first things you think about modding to that printer?
1: Well, Well, actually, the first thing that I would recommend you do is just run the printer stock. So you get kind of a baseline and you get your uh, you get kind of a feel for 3D printing with that machine. And um, because if you start modding it right away, you're not going to know whether you've improved things or made them worse. But in terms of I guess, yeah, I mean, I, I think half the fun is modding the printer and. Honestly, I spend more time modifying it than actually running it for prints for most of my printers. But um, I would say once you've gotten the hang of your printer and you're kind of comfortable with it, um, I would start with the cheapest upgrades first. So that's like simple changes, like putting a new nozzle in, um, trying out different filaments.
0: What, what kind of nozzle would you change? Most come with a, a 0.4 millimeter brass.
1: Yeah, so the 0.4 millimeter brass is good for volumetric flow rates up to, um, I'd say, about 12 cubic millimeters per second. So the way that I describe flow rates for 3D printers is it's in cubic millimeters per second. And basically, you start from your basic printers that can do about four to eight. Um, your your more advanced printers that have a dual gear direct drive setup will usually be able to get... Bet- we'll usually be able to get around 16 cubic millimeters per second. And a lot of the printers that I do where I'm just going all out crazy with them, I go over 30, um, sometimes as high as 75 or hundred. <laughs>
0: I'm sorry. It's funny. <laughs>
1: yeah, it is. It's that's
0: extreme. It's like that, that's extreme modding.
1: Yeah. One of what my latest, pra- what about practical? Oh, yeah. Well, that that does kind of breach into the extreme modding territory, something that you really don't necessarily need. It's more of a, a fun project. Yeah. Um, so what would you like? Go to like a
0: 0.6 nozzle or a hard nozzle or, or what?
1: Um, yeah, I would recommend a 0.6 millimeter nozzle uh, if you want to get those higher flow rates. Anything above that, uh, you, you start getting into some territory where you end up having all sorts of other parts of the printer that you need to upgrade. So once you get higher flow rates, then you'll need to also get better part cooling.
2: I feel like with, uh, nozzles, one thing I've found recently, I've started using nickel plated copper nozzles. Um, and the nickel plating helps not have the filament stick to it while it's it's printing. Um, So I've been impressed with how much better my experience using nickel-plated copper nozzles are over standard brass nozzles.
0: Have you ever used hardened steel?
2: I have, and I have had a lot of issues with those. Um, Just things not flowing correctly. you got to up the temperature a little bit, and it should just be a slight bump in temperature and should print fine. But I've just had issues that I can't explain for it. So I stopped using it and should probably go back to it. But nickel plated copper works great.
0: So nickel plated copper, are when you buy a nozzle, do they literally say nickel plated copper on them?
2: Yes. Yeah. And they look sort of silvery and they're only a dollar or two more. And my experience has been so much better. I've started just ordering those over brass nozzles. Because brass nozzles, you can get a good brass nozzle that works great, or you can get a cheap one that might not work great. Just wider range in the brass nozzles.
0: Yeah, I've, all my printers have 0.6 nozzles on them. And I like that not only for the, the, the volume it can push out, but also my printers print faster. Because I, I, I go to a 0.3 layer height instead of a 0.2. And I get really good results. From that but it takes about two-thirds the time as it does on a point 0.4 nozzle i'm not i'm not in any big hurry by any stretch of the imagination but so what what would be the, the the second thing after the nozzle jj
2: um so i think it depends on the printer i was thinking through this um of if it's a Bowden tube. Upgrading to a high quality Capricorn tube can I've seen huge gains just in a high quality Bowden tube over some of the stock cheap ones are really bad. And you just get inconsistent extrusion, bad retraction settings versus you just pop one of those on there, and it's like 10 or 15 bucks to get great retractions.
0: Yeah, I, I apologize, Nathan. You you wanted to say something before and we just went right over it.
1: Oh, yeah, that's that's fine. Uh, I was going to talk about um, a lot of my printers. I put Bontech CHT nozzles on them. They have like this uh, little splitter built into the inlet of the nozzle. And I've done some independent test data on that. And it shows that you get 50 to 100% increased print speeds on the same printer.
0: It's impressive. Yeah. It's impressive. I've yet to try any of those. Have you tried those JJ?
2: No, I haven't tried one yet. I saw a new, a new one that's made of tungsten that's sort of like a CHT. Um, interesting to check that one out. But that's more the, the high-end realm of nozzles.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what, what what do you think about the, the Bowden tubes, Nathan?
1: So um, I'm, I'm a direct drive purist. So any <laughs> printer that I get that has a Bowden tube, that's one of the first things that's coming off of it. So I put a direct drive extruder on there. Um, there is a big downside of direct drive extruders, and that's the increased weight of the print head, which causes some issues with um, ringing. So since the, the, since the print head is so heavy as it's moving around, you, um, you can't quickly change directions. However, if you have a Bedslinger type printer, which is like your Ender 3s or Prusa i3 MK3S, um, you got to think about the X and the Y axis separately. And your Y axis is usually your limitation. It weighs um, probably about a kilogram on most printers. And your X axis, if on a Bowden setup, probably weighs about um, 200 to 300 grams. And if you put a direct drive extruder on there, it can weigh around 600 grams. But if you think about it, no matter how light you make the hot end, your your bed is always going to be your limiting factor in terms of how fast you can set your accelerations. So I'm a big fan of just throwing the direct drive extruder on there and not worrying about it. I can see if you're running a CoreXY system like a Voron, then you might really want to get things to be as light as possible so that you can Really maximize your print speeds, but I would say, um, I don't know the exact numbers here, but I'd say about eighty percent of people are running a, a bed slinger type printer because those are mm-hmm. tend to be the cheaper, easier to put together ones. Sure. Yeah. Um,
0: and now, go
2: ahead. Sorry. Oh, and just nowadays, so many printers are coming with direct drive is becoming more the standard. And Bowden for the cheaper end printers, they're putting that because it's a big spec they can put on any new printer they're putting out.
1: Yep. Um, So, uh, Guy, if you're all right with this, I'd like to take the next upgrade that Mm -hmm. has to go on any printer.
0: Have at it, my friend. All right.
1: So I have a thing with fan noise. Whenever I have fans going, like that's the worst thing when you turn a printer on and it just starts going, (laughs) just screaming at you.
0: That's the first thing I do is I rip out all the fans especially on the power
1: supply and the case. Well, hopefully you put something else oh, in there to replace them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay. yeah.
0: They're, they're mostly Noctua fans. I'll put a buck mm-hmm. converter in there, lower the voltage on them, and they work fine. But they're mm-hmm. so much quieter.
1: Yeah, I love Noctua fans. Um, I've bought about 50 different fans from different companies and tested them out. And what I've found is that the Noctua fans are really good at operating quietly under a wide range of conditions. When I was testing a lot of the other fan brands, some of them were really quiet when you just plugged them in and you had them running. But as soon as you put a little back pressure on them, like you put them on, like you actually install them onto the printer, then they start making a lot more noise. Whereas the Noctua fans mm-hmm. are well optimized to perform over a wide range of conditions.
0: What, what do you think about yeah. that, JJ. Oh, yeah. yeah. Do you like fan noise?
2: (laughs) Nobody likes fan noise. Um, Yeah, high quality fans are an easy upgrade um, to just pop in there and just get instantly a better printer off of that.
1: I would say the next thing after fan noise that bothers me on printers is if you have non silent stepper drivers. I like how most printers nowadays are coming with silent stepper drivers, mm-hmm. but some of them are still shipping with the ones that screech and, and scream as they're moving around.
0: Yeah. But even, you know, getting back to the fan noise, then you got quiet steppers. Who cares? The fans are yeah. so darn loud.
1: That's it true. Matter. It's especially bad when you get a fan that's like clearly unbalanced and there's something wrong with it. And it just sounds like it's destroying itself. You just got to <laughs> listen to it. Um, but those stepper motors, when I first got into 3d printing, I thought the singing noises that they made when they're moving back and forth was really nice. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. And then about an hour later, I felt like my ears were going to start bleeding. I felt, uh, um, just, it just stresses you out having constant noise like that. So silent machines are all good.
0: I have all my printers here in my office. So, you know, there's, I'm looking at three printers right now, and when they run, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to hear them. I just don't want to hear them no. at all. So yeah, I have a a, a Prusa clone, and it's got an eight bit board in it, and that thing makes a ton of mechanical noises. It's just always, if I get that thing going, it's right behind me. Uh, you guys can't see it, <laughs> um, but. Uh, Yeah, my, go ahead.
2: Does it have built-in stepper drivers to that board? Yes. Ah, yeah, that's the issue. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like uh, if we're moving on to the next big upgrade for me, the print bed, and I might even do that before I change the fans or stepper motors because I just hate the glass build, build plates that come on so many printers now. I used to be fine with it on my first printer, but then once you move on to better print beds out there, either a flex PEI plate or put a G10 FR4 plate on there and you just get glorious results. It sticks well. It releases easy.
1: Yeah. um, One of the things about upgrading the print bed is it's one of the easiest things to do because you just peel off the old one and you slap the new one on. You can do it in like 10 seconds unless yeah, they I'm, try to glue it down
0: it <laughs> on so, my
2: any cubic mega s the build plate was glued down and so then you gotta heat it up to temperature and then try to slowly use a scraper to scrape it away while not burning yourself on this hot print surface <laughs> and not bend anything because if you bend anything you can mess the whole thing up
0: i would just replace the whole bed the aluminum and all yeah that's new holes and yeah be done with it
1: So another upgrade that I like to put on my machines is squash ball feet. Um, It helps quiet the printer down a little bit. It's not that big of a difference, and it is a little expensive for the effect that you get. But the other big advantage for it that I really appreciate is when you're moving the printer around, it's got a little bit of suspension. So when you set it down, you don't have to worry about it knocking on the ground and knocking your frame out of alignment. So um, since I'm moving my printers around all the time for filming, it's really easy to just pick it up and set it down and I don't have to baby it.
0: Squash balls are expensive mm, yeah. little buggers.
1: Yeah. It's like, uh, yeah. they're like $15 for four. Typically.
0: I I bought some and I couldn't buy them in anything but packs of three.
1: Oh, <laughs> that's how they get you. It's yeah. So if yeah. I
0: needed four, I, I had to buy two packs. It was like, you know, $30. I was like, damn.
1: Yeah. So it's not one that I would recommend for everybody, but I think it works well for my use case.
2: I always test my printers on this rickety, uh, it's a height adjustable table on wheels, very wobbly. And so just sort of stock on that to try to really get the worst vibrations out of it possible to really test it. Worst case scenario. And then I put it on the concrete floor to test best case scenarios to really... Get the range of what you can see out of this printer
0: yeah how so, how how important is it to to put your printer on a really stable sturdy surface
2: I think uh the ringing if you get ringing out of your prints you can push your speed so much higher without getting all those wavy lines throughout your entire printer and
1: so um so jJ I know you're a fan of Clipper and you've got a Voron. So you've probably done input shaping and stuff. I just mm-hmm. recently got my first Voron machine, uh, not Voron. I just recently got my first Clipper printer that has an accelerometer built into it. So I was able to do the input shaping. And one thing I noticed is that the table that I was sitting on was shaking. So does, um, does having a shaky table affect your input shaping results? Or how does that work? Yeah, so it's kind of measuring
2: the harmonic vibrations of the surface your printers on. So it'll give you different input shaping results if you're on a shaky table, a solid table. And so it should be able to tune out those as much as possible. But if you can mechanically remove them before you need to do input shaper, that'll help everything out. And so you really want to run input shaper on the surface it's going to live on. Because if you run input shaper on a wobbly table, and then you put the printer on a stable surface, then you might get even more results because it's trying to tune out frequencies that aren't really there. So um, it's always good to s- run it where the printer's going to s- try to stay. And then if you move to a vastly different table surface, then just rerun it.
0: Yeah, the, uh, the, the Clipper documentation says that right in it, that after you run the input shaper, if you change anything on the machine, you move it, you put a different nozzle on it, whatever you do to it, run it again, because it can change the, the resonance.
1: Well, that's some really good insight. And I guess that's kind of the issue with not reading the documentation, which I'm, uh, I'm guilty of.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love it in your videos. And oh, there's a manual. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. But then, it but gets then, but then you've got trouble.
0: it in your hand 10 minutes later.
1: Right. Yeah. That's definitely what happened with my last printer. I, I put it together wrong three times and then I was like, you know what? I'm going to follow the instructions this time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) RTFM. So, you know, let's, let's tackle that, that elephant clipper. You know, I, I, myself, with the exception of the, the Prusa, I have, Two other printers, and they both run Clipper. I much prefer it. Um, JJ, why why do you like Clipper over Marlin?
2: I like the adjustability of it. Of I can go into your configuration file is a text file, and with the basic level of you don't even need to be a programmer. You just can Google questions that someone else has had on Reddit, and then copy paste their config sections to change your fan noise, to change your so many different things you can adjust live in that text file instead of recompiling Marlin, which will take all day to try to figure out.
1: Yeah, you're not kidding. Um, the first printers that I changed the firmware on, I was doing Marlin. And uh, getting my first printer, running my custom build of Marlin working, took me about 20 hours. Oh, and it was really painful and it didn't get any easier with the next printer either. It's always like something else. You got to compile it with the right microprocessor and all this stuff. And while in the initial installation of Clipper is kind of tricky sometimes once you get it up and running and you need to change things around, it's super simple.
0: Yeah. For, for me, the, the, it was very daunting. It's very, it's not user-friendly The documentation, while being extremely thorough, is also highly technical. And if you're not a person that that is good with electronics and technology, you just want a printer. Clipper can be very unapproachable for some people, and it's unfortunate. Um, But once you understand how it works, it makes a lot of sense.
1: Well, one of the good things happening in the 3D printer market nowadays is you're starting to get printers that come stock with Clipper. So um, we've got like the Sonic pads and stuff, which I think it seems like kind of a band aid solution where you're kind of attaching this onto the printer after the fact. But you've got other printers like the Biku Huracan, which I'm, I'm doing a review on one of those right now. And you unbox it, put it together, and it runs Clipper right out of the box. And you can just open up your web browser and start controlling it. So um, I definitely think that the ease of use is something that Clipper needs to, I definitely think Clipper needs to be easier to use to make it more approachable to more users. And that's just going to come with time with uh, with manufacturers supporting Clipper out of the box.
2: I feel like in the next year to two years, we'll see an Ender 3 stock with Clipper once they've created the Sonic Pad. Maybe it'll probably be chip shortages will depend on whether they do it or not. Um, but we'll see entry-level printers coming with Clipper options.
0: Yeah. I th- I, the Sonic Pad, I think for some people, or something like the Sonic, I think um, FL Sun has one too they're promoting.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I can't remember the name of it. Um, but anyways, I think it's- that is going to be knocking that barrier down for a lot of people where I can just connect this thing and run it and I've got Clipper and it is full Clipper. It puts firmware on the Clipper firmware on the, the printers MCU. And then it's got a, it's like a Raspberry Pi inside the thing. So it, it, it is regular Clipper, but it just, they have a a really nice user interface to, to get it going. So.
2: I feel like one other uh, big benefit of Clipper is how quickly it updates of they're constantly putting out new features, um, something that you don't get in Marlin, because I don't know when the last Marlin update even was, but with Clipper, every couple days or every month, you'll see updates to firmware, and you'll get new features to there, new control things that... When I went back to working on a Marlin printer, I realized there's all these features you don't have with Marlin that you can get with just Clipper easy.
1: This... This might be touching on a subject that's too big to cover in this episode, but I think one of the big things that's nice about Clipper is it teaches you how to SSH into a secondary computer and do all this advanced electronics stuff. And as someone who's worked in the robotics industry for a little while, these are skills that you use every day. So you're kind of training yourself to be a highly skilled employee or potential worker for, for someone by learning these things. And it's just kind of fun that you're able to learn so much in your own time and have fun doing it and then translate those skills over to a job.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but like I said, I'm not trying to argue with them. Just playing devil's advocate. <laughs> There's a lot of people that, that you, you they read a, a document that shows them exactly step-by-step step, how to SSH into a Raspberry Pi and make these changes. They just instantly their head explodes. It's like, I'm not doing. I'm not doing any of this stuff.
1: With oh, you Ma, don't have to. All I gotta do is turn it on. You don't have to tell me that because I'm one of those people sometimes. So um, <laughs> the documentation is tough to follow because sometimes you type something in and it doesn't work exactly how it, it's expected to work because of
0: the changes yeah. JJ was talking.
2: About. Yeah. If you're yep. following a tutorial on YouTube and then something has changed, then they can be out of date. A week after i post a tutorial it'll change something and it doesn't work anymore
0: now we cut you off nathan oh
1: yeah i think <laughs> i think that was about it let's see um yeah i'm, I'm trying to think of what the next upgrade would be because we we've turned into a clipper chat which is cool too but um in terms of other upgrades is there there's one on my list that I think is pretty cool and it kind of ties into the Clipper and that's having a camera and remote monitoring. So whether you're doing that with Octoprint or Clipper, having mm-hmm. the ability to start a print from the other room is really fun.
0: At least check on it too. You know, you're in another room, you can make sure it's, it hasn't failed.
2: Sometimes. So I got my Voron sitting on the desk, arms length from me. Uh, And I'll have the webcam up instead of looking over there because the camera's at a better angle than just glancing over there. And so I'll just use the webcam, even though the printer is feet away from me.
1: Well, here's one thing that's kind of annoying about Clipper sometimes is that your printer is a foot away from you, but your computer's in the other room. So you can't work on your printer until you go grab your computer. There's a lot of things that you have to do through the web interface, which can be um, Mm -hmm. irritating. But if you have, yep, that's it. If you have a a Sonic pad or something similar, then that brings all of those controls back onto the printer. So there's definitely a a, use for that.
0: I have a a printer stand where I've got the two printers on one lower and one upper, and I have an old iPad that I mounted Mm. to it. And I can just go into that and bring up the, the the clipper screen to the web, web page and do whatever I want. So that's kind of, but you know, my computer is five feet away.
2: (laughs) I always just use my phone since I got my phone on me. I I haven't put any screens on any of my clipper printers just because the phone is going to be way more powerful in my mind than trying to use some little screen that gives you simplified controls versus on my phone. I can go in there and I'll change config file settings. And then
1: that's... Um, that's news to me because when I was using a uh an octoprint, you couldn't log on to it from your phone. But are you telling me that Clipper you can do all the same stuff with your phone?
2: Yes, sure. yeah. So it's just the same web interface that you use. The whatever IP address you go to on your computer, just go to that on your phone. And if you're connected to the same Wi Fi network, then you'll pull up the exact same web page.
1: I'll have to try that out. Yeah, <laughs> getting all sorts of ideas here. Do you use uh, fluid or mainsail? I use whatever the printer comes with. <laughs> so let's see. I'll open it up here. I've got a. I think it's mainsail on the Biku mm-hmm. Huracan. Yeah, I I couldn't tell you the difference between the two though. Mm-hmm.
0: JJ did a video on it. Yeah, I need to update that
1: update that, that video
2: because there's been so many updates to both of them since then.
0: That's why I went to mainsail over fluid.
2: Mm, yeah. Thanks
0: for watching that video.
2: What'd you like about mainsail?
0: Um, there's more in it that you can configure. I like the mm-hmm. way it transfers files better. Um, I can barely remember what the fluid interface looks like now. Yeah, been, yeah. They're so very awesome similar. It's it.
2: yeah. uh, more like different flavors yeah. of the same ice
0: cream it's so i want to go ba- i want to go back to what nathan was talking about you know cameras and everything so if you're not running clipper what are you using to run cameras you're running through octoprint for all that
1: well that's what i used to do and there's this new product called the um minton beagle cam mm-hmm. and i got a really early version of it and it, like the firmware wasn't working yet but <laughs> since then they've updated it and apparently it works really well so i need to revisit it
0: so you're, you're, that's what you're using? Were you just moving around from machine to machine as you needed it?
1: Well, if I'm being honest, I don't have any cameras set up right now, but I have a clipper <laughs> machine. I just got a clipper machine in, so I'm gonna pull out a webcam and plug it in there.
0: All
1: right. Uh... So there's, we touched on a lot of different components on the 3D printer. And I'd say the last two that we have or the last three that we haven't really talked about are the main board so whether or not it's worth upgrading the main board uh, what would you have to, what do you guys think about that I
2: feel AJ? like it's not as big of a change, unless your main board is bad um, the effort for switching my Anycubic mega s from the stock main board which was a bad main board like it's not great. There's not much documentation. Um, there's all these issues with it. But then switching over to a new one, they it's a lot of work to like figure out where all the pins go, and you might need to recrimp some wires um, to the actual results. Will you see results in your print? I don't really think so. Or I didn't see any, at least.
1: Yeah, it's one of those things where I'd say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it.
2: Yeah. I remember I used and, to hear on Reddit, people talk about 8-bit main boards versus 32-bit main boards. And they're both going to get the same results in the resolution that a 3D print would be coming out at.
1: Okay, and then um, we talk about main boards. So the other one that uh, I see a lot of people upgrading is the hot ends on their 3D printers. So this part so that's the part that's the um, heat sink with a little fan on it and then your heat break and the actual heater block all that that whole unit together is what I consider the hot end. So what do you think about hot end upgrades?
2: So I'm gonna to be testing out the the CHC hot end, which is a little ceramic should just replace your replace your entire heater block and the heater and the thermistor. The first time I tested it out, they sent this twelve volt, 24 to 12 volt thing that caught fire for me. So the first wow. review of it was, don't buy this for a 12 volt machine. It's wrongly spec'd. It caught fire for me. So don't do that. Um, but now I have a 24 volt printer I'm going to put it on. So it'll be interesting to see how that one works out.
1: With all the stuff that I do to my printers, I'm really surprised I haven't had a fire yet. <laughs>
0: yeah no no kidding i've seen some of those Uh rats nests you're working on in there
1: yeah so um i i just want to share what i think about hot end upgrades so generally speaking i would say it's not worth putting your money towards hot end upgrades just because um unless there's a specific thing that you want to address for example if you have like a ptfe lined hot end Mm-hmm. Um, it might be worth replacing the heat break itself and getting rid of that PTFE lining.
0: Is that a but, universal thing that you can buy just any heat break and shove mm-hmm. it up inside a the, the,
2: if it's compatible of oh, there's compatible. different is there's like a V six, there's a, for different types of hot ends there. Are, yeah. yeah.
1: Usually, usually what I'll do is I'll look up on the internet, just type in your printer and then all metal hot end. And uh, they're so easy to manufacture that a lot of companies will just make all different versions for a bunch of different printers. And if you have a popular 3D printer, then you'll certainly be able to find a, a hot end. Re- you'll certainly be able to find a heater, uh, a heat break replacement.
0: Okay, and what's 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 the advantage of the the upgrading the heat break?
1: Well, I think there's a couple of advantages. One is that you can get higher temperature prints. So you can print ABS and higher temperature nylons that you can't really print with a PTFE lined hot end. Just because if you have the, just because if you have PTFE inside of a heat break, if you heat it up too much, it'll start to degrade and kind of get gunky. So by removing that and just having an all metal heat break, you get rid of that issue entirely. And usually you can push your temperatures up to about 300 degrees Celsius.
0: What would you need to push up to 300 degrees
1: Celsius for? Well, the main reason to go 300 C would be to print some high strength carbon fiber nylons.
0: Those are really
1: uh, nice filaments to be able to print with because a lot of, a lot of different filaments are weaker than PLA. So I've done some tests and basically ABS is weaker PETG is weaker, so you might as well just go with PLA for everything. But if you really need extra strength, you'll want to go with a high temperature carbon fiber nylon.
2: I feel like a few other of the benefits of a upgraded all-metal all metal hot end is getting high quality will have less resistance in there. And so I got feel like I got better prints out of upgrading it. Just the smoothness of the flow. The other downside is you can print up to 150 and not risk that degraded PTFE tubing releasing a bunch of pretty nasty chemicals if you want to print PETG or ABS consistently and not having those risks of chemical stuff coming out of that Teflon tube.
0: I remember the, the, the first printer I got, and it got me started down this path, was an Ender-3V2. And for the first dozen prints, it worked fine it worked really, really good. Then all of a sudden it just decided I'm not going to print right anymore. I was getting clogs. (laughs) Um, I was getting, you know, zits all over everything. I was getting under extrusion. I was like, what the hell's going on with this thing? It was a hot end.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: So.
1: Yep. Um, then you got the really high end hot ends that are like over a hundred dollars. Usually I just stick with what's stock because, um, you're not really getting a lot of value for that extra expense. If you're building Mm -hmm. a new printer and you want to spec those, I think that's fine, but I've found that you can go up to 75 or more cubic millimeters per second using the stock Creality hot ends.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: That's, that's a lot of volume, 75 millimeters.
1: Yeah. It, they, the prints don't look great. Uh, I got to work on that. But <laughs> How, big at least a I got the, How
0: big of a nozzle do you have to use to push that much?
1: Um, I was using a Volcano CHT nozzle that was 1.2 millimeters. <laughs> and here's another uh, thing about being able to go up to 300C. I was printing PLA, and I turned the PLA temperature up to 260 Celsius, which was the limit mm-hmm. for that machine. And that was allowing me to print faster. So I would actually like to go all the way up to 300C to print my PLA even with more speed, because the the hotter the hot, because the hotter the heater cartridge is, the more plastic you can melt. You can just melt things faster when it's hotter, which is like something that's obvious in everyday life as as much as it is in 3D printing. Dig it. Yeah.
0: Is there anything you want to add, guys? on the hot end discussion.
1: Well, there's some stuff with slice engineering, but I don't want to get into (laughs) that right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We don't want to say anything negative about any manufacturers ever, ever, ever. Um, So we talked about the things that, that you would upgrade. What are the things that you're just going to stay away from period?
2: Oh, I did have one more upgrade thing and it really depends on what printer you get. Um, is safety so like cable management cable chains uh, power supplies are generally pretty good I see that one's an easy upgrade people pop in a new power supply because um, on my first printer uh, the cables for the bed was just in a coming out of metal hole out of the side of the printer and so every time it ran back and forth I noticed the sheathing on the outside was slowly wearing away on it oh, I was like this is a fire risk. Like if I had printed this for six more months and not noticed it could have, you know, bad things could have happened. And so the safe, the bare minimum safety of your printer. Um, And nowadays printers are getting so much better at this, but always keeping safety as a high priority, I think is important.
0: Other than the, the, the wire coming out of the bed, what other safety issues are there?
2: Assembly, I would say check. I always check underneath the bed or underneath the printer to make sure everything is screwed down tight and nothing is loose. But I always check that in my reviews. Um, So people should just look at things to see if anything looks unsafe.
1: Yeah, there might be some monsters under the bed. Yeah. (laughs) Um, On the topic of safety, something that I I like to do is to have a well-ventilated workspace. So either Mm -hmm. opening a window or having an air filter running, just to make sure that you're not breathing in all the plastic fumes. Maybe and that's, that's not,
0: maybe that's what happened to me.
1: <laughs> well, how long have you been three D printing? About two years. Yeah, uh, I, I do don't have know the if printers that's in the room with me. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's long enough to to do it. But
0: okay, so I've got have got a little bit of time left.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't, um, I
0: don't print the ABS or anything like that. So
1: yeah. So um and then the one last thing is lighting. So that doesn't have to be on the printer, but if you want to upgrade your printer and attach lights to it, that can help you just see everything, which is always nice.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um I have lighting on on all the printers. I use um WLED as a if you guys are familiar with that. It's oh, like, yes. Yeah. yeah. It's like an open source thing and you use mm-hmm. five volt lights and it works really well. So anyways. What, what do I'm you not... guys use for lighting?
1: Um, I use my camera filming light. Just turn that on and that lights everything <laughs> up. Um, some printers that come with it, I always appreciate when they have lights built on. And it's one of those things where it's like, ah, this seems like a lot of work to string this up. And I never really add the lights on, even though I think I would appreciate it. Mm
0: -hmm. So that's not a mod that you say, oh, I got to get lights on this.
1: Yeah, just because I have so much lighting because I'm filming. So um, usually I can see what's going on.
2: I think it's always amazing when, uh, I know it's obvious, but when printers can print in the dark, at the end of the day, I turn the lights off and they can print overnight. They don't need to see what they're doing. (laughs)
0: <laughs> that's that's very true it's very but
2: true. when it comes to leds i've done everything from wiring them directly into the hot into the power supply and then just put a little switch in the way um to do that but then some some better main boards have a little um neo led
0: neo pixel neo
2: pixel that's the one yeah. uh control pin and so you can directly individually ad- addressably control some leds to do a lot of fun things which is another advantage to clipper you can just change your configuration whenever you want to change I your just lighting
0: can't, i can't figure it out i've read the documentation i've watched some videos i think you did a video on it yeah
2: it i got did. a good video on it <laughs> and
0: i just uh, it's just so complicated get yeah
1: right.
2: yeah
0: i just
1: so uh on one of my older videos i actually put rgb leds on my printer And I thought it was the best video I ever made, but apparently the YouTube algorithm didn't agree. So if you want to go back in time and look that up, I made a completely silent 3D printer. So I took every fan off of it, including the heatsink fan and the power supply fan. So uh, and then I put lights on it. So it looked like a UFO. It was a lot of fun. Did
0: you use like a big heatsink for a PC?
1: Yeah, I used the CPU power supply Mm -hmm. as the heatsink and that has enough surface area that it can just passively cool without having a fan. I've added a little
0: bit of weight, I would imagine.
1: <laughs> yeah, but then again, it probably wasn't more it, it probably wasn't heavier than the heated bed itself. So, is it actually mm-hmm. going to cause an yeah. effect? I don't know. Yeah, that's that's true.
0: That's true. So, back to the question I was asking before, which is what are the things you would try to avoid doing?
1: I've got a big one to start with right. water cooling. <laughs> it's like, you've got all this moving parts and all these sensitive electronics. Why are you adding water to the mix? Cause it's cool, man. Yeah, it I is like
2: cool. It's the cool new thing or that companies can be like, look, it's a whole water cooling kit for your printer. Right.
0: What are they cooling? Just the, the heads, the, the, the hot end.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. typically they just run the coolant to the hot end. There is some actual use cases for industrial machines where you've got a heated enclosure that's like over a hundred degrees Celsius, and you need to cool off electronics or stepper motors. But for these um, hobby-grade machines, I really don't think there's a need for it.
0: <laughs> I would think if you're gonna if you want to just have the fans running on the water cooling radiator, you'd have to run water to also the 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 chip that's on your main board because that gets hot right. so you'd have to run one to that you'd have to you still have to do something with your power supply
1: so i've actually heard some stuff from uh, tim hoogland from th3d he developed a main board and he said he put so much copper in it that you don't need any heat sinks or fans <laughs> on it so it's just got, it's so densely laden with copper that it just spreads all the heat out and it's got enough surface area to passively cool. So I would like to see that feature on more 3D printers. And I've had a lot of, uh, I've actually had a lot of printers where I've disabled the main board fan, whether that was intentionally or not, but <laughs> the printers always keep working even without that fan on. So I'm not sure how essential it is. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's only for your
2: stepper motor drivers. To cool those off. Um, and so, if you're pushing high speeds and you get skipped steps, then you need more cooling. But if you've got a good heat sink on there and there's some ventilation, then they generally don't need too much cooling on that.
0: So, uh, talking about all this stuff, so I see all that upgrades and mods and things like that. The new things, everybody wants to go fast. I, I'm more concerned with the quality of prints rather than the speed. Um, you know, after you get your first printer, you kind of realize things don't take 10 minutes, they take hours. So for me, the difference between six hours and eight hours is not that big of a deal. And is that worth spending, you know, an extra three, $400 on all these upgrades just to save a couple hours of time when you're pretty much letting it run overnight anyways.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure me and JJ have some thoughts on this. Um, uh, let, let's start with JJ.
2: <laughs> I love high-speed printing, and sometimes I get way too into it, and and then a print um, that should take two hours, I try to make take one hour, and then it fails three times, and it take four hours to get it done. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And so I should just focus on reliability and just slow it
1: down, let it take its time. But it's so much fun. <laughs> So I, I kind of want to do a video on this topic because I feel like it's one of those things where you're chasing a dragon that just it doesn't exist. Um, so it's uh, I've, I've been pursuing high-speed printing by going really slow. And what I mean by that is I've got an extruder that's outputting a massive amount of plastic, but the print head itself is moving slow. So you're laying down a much larger bead of plastic and you can print thick walled stuff in um, a similar or even faster time than a really fast looking printer. And the other thing about fast printers is every mechanical design has a certain limit that once you've reached a certain number of cycles, it's probably going to break. So if you have to lay down 40 layers, 40 separate lines for a certain feature, and you're going around and around in a circle with the print head versus just taking one big fat scoop of filament and <laughs> laying it down, and you're just doing one cycle, your 3D printer is going to last longer. So, I think the holy grail of this print speed thing that we're all trying to chase is got to be variable thickness printing. So like, if you're printing a big feature, you can increase the nozzle diameter or increase the extrusion rate so that you're laying down a lot mm-hmm. of plastic slowly. And then when you need to print detailed parts, then you print a smaller extrusion and move faster. But there's a lot of stuff at play, and there's definitely advantages to printing thin layers quickly, especially when it comes to heat dissipation and detail and all sorts of things. So it's, a, it's probably a... Podcast episode in of itself.
0: Yeah, that's one of the things I want to talk about. Sometimes is slicers because that's another thing that can be for a newbie that can be a real difficult thing. If you don't know what half that stuff means, heck, after a couple of years, I still don't know what half that stuff means. I look at it and it goes, it gives you some technical jargon, I'm like, I, don't, I still don't know what the hell it is. So. Yeah, that's something we need to we
1: need to discuss. Definitely, I right. always like it. Um, I always like it when you get a slicer and it's got the pre-made profile for your machine, and you don't have to think about it. And bonus points if it actually works. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Thanks, guys, and uh, that's going to do it for now. And, and remember, we really need some questions and participation from you, the listeners. So make sure to go to perfectfirstlayer.com and go to the submit page and ask us. Nathan, why don't you let all our listeners at home know where you can be found on social media?
1: So I'm on YouTube as Nathan Builds Robots. And just look up my channel and you can watch some of my videos. If you look up Ender 3 mods, you'll probably see some of my videos popping up there too. So that's where you can find me.
0: Cool. What about you, JJ? JJ.
2: Same thing on YouTube. Check out JJ Shankles and you'll find Very me. Cool.
0: And I can be found at on YouTube also, strangely enough, at Guy's Shop. So thanks so much for listening, everybody. And we'll see you guys on the next show. All right.
1: All right. Bye.